Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. And if you have a Bible today, we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. And uh, last week we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And this morning we're going to start reading in verse number 16 here in just a moment. Last week we talked about how to be grounded in generosity. How to be grounded in generosity. And uh, we talked about some facts that Paul laid out to the church at Corinth that he started. And uh, he talked about how to uh, be grounded in this area of generosity. And he gave us some of these facts about generosity. Generosity is linked to our joy. And generosity goes beyond finances. Generosity must be marked by faithfulness. And ultimately, that generosity is rooted in the gospel. And if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to uh, catch the podcast and get caught up uh, on this series. And I hope that that will be an encouragement to you. And uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 this morning. And I want to bring a message that I'm calling this morning, Meet the Messengers. Meet the Messengers. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're there, would you say amen? If you are ready to get into the word of God today, would you say amen? We'll start reading in verse number 16. The Bible says this, But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent him with the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us, uh, with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance, which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And when we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent, everybody say diligent, proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent. Upon the great confidence which I have in you, whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you or our brethren be inquired of. They are uh, the messengers. Everybody say the messengers, the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and God, thank you for this opportunity today to come and to worship you, and Lord, thank you so much that we have uh, your perfect, infallible, inspired word to look to today, and uh, God, thank you uh, that you sent your only begotten son to come and to live a perfectly sinless life and to die on the cross in our place, and God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, that does not know their eternal standing, God, I pray that today could be the day of salvation for them. And God, for those of us that have accepted you and accepted your free gift of salvation, Lord, I pray that we would uh, have a heart that does not simply want to maintain, but that we would have a heart that would want to multiply your work for your glory. And uh, God, I pray that as we begin to unpack, uh, unpack these verses this morning, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. 
I pray that you would give me the words to say uh, that would be beneficial uh, for us this morning. And uh, Lord, we love you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, recently I've been trying to convince my wife Katie to let us get a dog. And uh, so far, no luck. And uh, my thinking is we already have three little kids running around the house. Let's just throw a dog in the mix. You know, what, what, uh, what could that possibly do? And uh, so I'm trying to convince her to let us get a dog, but so far, no luck. So if you would just pray for me and pray for her that God would do a work in her heart, uh, that would be a great blessing for me. And uh, growing up, I always wanted to get a dog, and I always was asking my parents for a dog. And, and uh, we had some dogs, and we get, got rid of them. And, and I always kind of wanted to have my own dog. And I remember very specifically when I was in sixth grade, some of you uh, know this. When I was in sixth grade, I literally had a dream that a mailman would deliver a puppy to my door on Christmas Eve. And I had this uh, great dream that this would happen. And I remember I went and I told my mom, and I was kind of excited about this. I said, Mom, I had this great dream. I need to tell you about it. And, and uh, I had a dream that a mailman was going to come and deliver a puppy to our door. And I remember my mom acted very disinterested. And uh, she, she said, oh, okay. And I was like, that's it, mom? Like, you're not even interested in my dreams? Come on, this is like, this is what my life is about. And uh, the reason my mom acted disinterested is because she was already planning on surprising me and getting me a dog for Christmas. And so then what she did was uh, there was a mailman in our church, and she went and talked to him, and she arranged it to where on Christmas Eve, the mailman came uh, to my door, and I got a puppy in a box on Christmas Eve. Like, I think we have a picture this morning even of the dog. There I am, looking handsome as ever, right? And uh, I was so excited, and my mom uh, literally made my dreams come true, thanks to her and uh, the mailman, and a uh, faithful mailman. And I was reading this week that there's a mailman in, in uh, uh, Utah who just retired after uh, 69 years of being in the mail industry. And what's amazing about his retirement, his name is Jack Lund, I think we have a picture of him this morning. What's amazing about this man is 69 years delivering the mail, he never missed a day. And uh, he said no matter if it was raining or snowing, his truck broke down. It didn't matter. He said the mail has got to go out, and uh, he never missed a day, and uh, he was a faithful messenger. And this morning when we come to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Paul finds it necessary to introduce to us uh, some very faithful messengers in the ministry. These were the messengers that were responsible of delivering this letter to the church at Corinth. They were also uh, the messengers that were responsible to receive the offering that Paul had been talking about that was going to be sent to the needy church at Jerusalem. And so uh, these were the messengers that were uh, assigned the uh, task to uh, collect this offering. Now, uh, Paul wants to kind of introduce us to them and kind of give us their character and insight a little bit because he knows that uh, there were some people at the church at Corinth that would have been maybe critical of this idea and maybe uh, people uh, quick to criticize and think, well, who are these guys? And, and uh, uh, these guys are coming and asking that we would collect an offering for the church at Jerusalem. How do we know uh, that we can trust them? Now, we know Titus a little bit, but these other guys, we don't know them. And so what Paul does here in the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter number 8 is he writes basically a letter of recommendation. And uh, he says, to whom it may concern, these guys uh, can be trusted and they have character and they are generous. And he writes them this letter of recommendation. How many of you have ever written a letter of recommendation? Can I see your hands? You've written I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, I would write letters of recommendation all the time. Teens would want me to, uh, they were community service or getting a job, and they said, can you write me a letter of recommendation? It was always kind of tricky sometimes because uh, there would be a rebellious teenager that would say, uh, can you write me a letter of recommendation? And I'm like really racking my brain, what can I write about this student, right? And I'm like, 
they have great potential someday, and they come from a great youth group. And, you know, I'm like trying to be real creative on what to write about these students, right? Well, Paul had no problem writing uh, this letter of recommendation for these messengers because they had outstanding character. They were the real deal. They had a heart to see God's work multiply. And we don't really even know much about some of these guys. In fact, two of the men, we don't even know their names, but uh, we know that they had a great character. By the way, in a ministry of multiplication, it's not so much about elevating status as it is about elevating service. We, we don't even know their names, but it wasn't about recognition. It was about lifting high the name of Jesus. And so uh, these guys come along. Paul uh, introduces us to these messengers, and there's one overarching theme to their lives. There's one big idea. If I had to boil down uh, kind of their uh, character traits into one word, here was the one thing that they all shared, the one thing that they all had in common, these three messengers. Passion. They were passionate. And Paul finds it very necessary to uh, make us aware of their passion. In fact, um, there's, a, there's a, a word uh, in the Greek. It's the word, um, make sure I get it right here. The word in the Greek is uh, spudaios. Everybody say spudaios. And uh, this word means zealous. It means passionate. And three times in this letter, in this introduction uh, about these messengers, Paul uses a form of this word spudias. And, and I have some examples here that I want you to see. He says in verse number 16 that Titus had earnest care. There, there the Greek word is spude. And so he's saying that, man, he was earnest. He was passionate. He was, he was zealous about the work of God. And then in verse number 17, it says, but being more forward. That's the same word spude. And he's saying, hey, that he was passionate. He was zealous. In verse number 22, the same word spudias is diligent. He was diligent in many things, but now much more diligent. And so what was Paul saying? Hey, these guys were passionate. They were zealous. They were serious about the work of God. They had earnest care. They were more forward. They were diligent. They were more diligent. Paul is trying to get us to see that these guys were passionate about the work of the ministry. They were passionate about seeing God's work multiplied. They, they were passionate. This morning, the question that we have to consider then is, how passionate are we about seeing God's work multiplied? How passionate are we about training up the next generation in the way that they should go? How bad do we want to see a miracle of multiplication? How, how bad do we want it? How passionate are we? How would you gauge? How would you uh, rate your level of passion for the things of God? Now, before you think, well, I'm just not a very passionate person, or uh, I don't know how important this is, listen to what Jesus has to say about uh, this subject in Revelation chapter number 3. He said in verse 15 and 16, he said, speaking of the church at Laodicea, he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, everybody say lukewarm. Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. See, someone that is spiritually cold is someone that is distant, disinterested in the things of God. Someone that is spiritually hot, they're on fire like these messengers that we meet in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Some people are, are hot, they're on this side of the spectrum, and they're on fire for the things of God. They're passionate, they're at team rally, they're ready to go. And then on this side, there is someone that's cold, that is disinterested in the things of God. Maybe comes to church just because they have to or appease someone else, and they're cold, they're disinterested. But then a lot of times we find ourselves right in the middle where we're not disinterested in the things of God, but we're not necessarily on fire for the things of God either. And Jesus says, I want to spew you out of my mouth, it makes me sick. 
That's how serious Jesus takes this apathetic concern and this apathetic attitude. And so this morning, before we start to think, well, passion, intensity, this isn't that big of a deal. Jesus says, hey, it's a really big deal. And so these messengers, they, they demonstrate this level of passion. So what I want to do for the next few minutes, as we look at this last half of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and as we begin to unpack this letter of recommendation about these messengers, what I want to do is I want to ask us four questions to gauge our level of passion. Four questions to uh, gauge our level of passion. Are you ready this morning? Number one, question number one, do I take the initiative? Do I take the initiative? Notice verse number 16. It says this, but thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care uh, zealous, spude, into the heart of Titus for you. Titus was uh, passionate about uh, the church at Corinth. He was passionate about the ministry. He had already visited Corinth about a year before. Uh, he loved this church. They loved him. In, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 13, it says this, Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. And so they knew Titus, and they loved Titus, and Titus loved them. And, and he says, thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. In fact, uh, Titus was so concerned and so passionate about the church at Corinth. And notice what it says in the next verse, in verse number 17. It says, for indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And I love that little phrase that of his own accord, he went unto you. Titus said, hey, you need someone to go and deliver a message to the church at Corinth. Hey, I'll go. I'll be that person. See, Titus was a self-starter. He was not someone that was just going to sit around and analyze and scrutinize and criticize. He said, hey, if there's a job that needs to be done, I'm going to volunteer for that job. I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to go of my own accord and meet this need that's in Corinth. See, you know you're passionate about something when someone doesn't have to beg you to be involved. And so uh, of his own accord, he goes and he shows this initiative. I love, I love what George Eliot, who was, that was a pen name for a poet um, uh, named Mary Ann Evans. And, and she said this, it will never rain roses. When we want to have more roses, we must plant more roses. <laughs> it's never just going to rain roses from the sky, right? If we want a faithful marriage, we can't just hope that we're going to have a faithful and strong marriage. We've got to plant the seeds of a faithful and strong marriage. If we want God to bless our finances, we can't just hope that roses and money are going to fall from the sky. No, we need to plant the seeds of generosity now so that we can experience God's blessings and benefits later. And so we can't just expect that these things are going to happen. We have to demonstrate the initiative and take the initiative. I love what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 8. It says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. See, a lot of times I believe that the reason why we don't experience a miracle of multiplication is simply we're not available. It's a lack of availability. It's not because we don't have talent. It's not because we don't have skill. It's not because we don't have the right knowledge. It's not because we don't have the right resources. The Bible says in 1 Peter that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so uh, we have all the resources that we need. A lot of times the reason we're not experiencing the miracle of multiplication is we're just simply not available. Our heart is not, here am I, send me. Our heart is, there they are, get them. There they are, use them. 
And I just wonder this morning, what would happen if some people at Rock Hill Church would say, you know what, whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be passionate about serving the Lord. I'm not going to wait to see the change. I'm going to be the change that I want to see in the world and in this community. I'm going to take the initiative. Titus said, you know what, you need someone to go and deliver this message. I'll go. I'll go of my own accord. Whatever you need, that's what I want to do. I want to show the initiative and serve my Lord. And so he shows the initiative. I love uh, the story in the Old Testament uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6 where uh, there was a man who was working on a construction project with uh, the prophet Elisha. And uh, he had an axe and he was cutting down a tree. And if you remember, the axe head fell off and he was really worried because he had borrowed that axe head. And he was nervous because, man, I, I might get in trouble because I just lost this axe head and it fell in the water. And, he, and it sunk down to the bottom and he was nervous. And so he calls Elisha over and Elisha says, hey, throw a stick into the water. He threw a stick in the water and then the axe head uh, came to the top. How many of you are familiar with this story? Uh, it, it's a great story. But how that story comes about in 2 Kings chapter number 6 uh, is very interesting. It says this in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and it says this, And the sons of the prophets, now, uh, the sons of the prophets, they would have been like the Bible college, the seminary students. They were training for the ministry under the prophet of Elisha. And, and the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. They were saying, Elisha, uh, the place that we're living and studying and training for the ministry, it's too small for us. We're running out of space. We're cramped together. And so they said, Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. And I just love this thought because these sons of the prophets, they encountered this problem. Hey, we're running out of space. We, we, we need to do something about this. And they didn't sit back and they didn't complain and they didn't say, man, this is not good. I'm so cramped. I'm sick of uh, rubbing shoulders with everybody. And I'm so tired of this. And Elisha, uh, what is he doing? They didn't criticize. What they did was they identified the problem and then they initiated the process. They said, hey, Elisha, we have an idea. Hey, let's go and start a new construction project and let's build new buildings. And what happened was the work of God was multiplied. Why? Because there were some people that were willing to show the initiative. They said, hey, we'll be, the, we'll be the solution. We'll go. We'll help do this. And so I love the heart of Titus and his passion for the ministry because he says, uh, I'm going to go of my own accord. He was willing to show the initiative. That's question number one. Question number two this morning is this. Do I have a burden for the lost? So do I take the initiative? Am I willing to serve? Am I willing to be available? But then do I have a burden for the lost? Because Paul's going to introduce us to this next messenger in verse number 18. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen? He said, and we have sent with him, with Titus, the brother. Okay, and so who is this brother? Who is this unnamed individual? Whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And I just love what we know about this man. It says that, that his praise, the word praise literally carries the idea of fame. His fame was in the gospel. Uh, many people kind of uh, speculate on who this was. Some say perhaps it was Luke. Some say perhaps it was Apollos, but we're not really sure. But what we do know about him is he was famous. What was he famous for? He was famous for the gospel throughout all the churches. He was famous for uh, declaring the truth about Jesus Christ. Uh, last year, there was a, a viral video that uh, hit the internet. It was of a little boy named Mason Ramsey, and uh, he was the Walmart yodeler. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There was the little boy, and he was a yodeler. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor. It's an amazing video. He's in Walmart yodeling, and uh, how you can not enjoy that, I'm just not really sure, but um, Mason Ramsey, he, he's yodeling in a Walmart, and uh, that video went viral, and so then he kind of got uh, the attention of a lot of people, and he actually uh, recorded his own album after that, and he kind of, he kind of blew up, and he got famous. 
famous. And uh, I love that the name of his song, his first uh, hit single, is called Famous. And, uh, and if you listen to the song, you can listen to it today. The chorus says, if I'm going to be famous for something, I want to be famous for loving you. And it's this love song. If I'm going to be famous for something, I want to be famous for loving you. Do yourself a favor, look it up today. Now, we don't know who this guy was, but we know exactly what he's famous for. He's famous for preaching the gospel. And if there's anything, if there's anything at Rock Hill that we ought to be known for, it's about lifting high the name of Jesus. If there's anything that we ought to be remembered for or famous for, it's declaring his name and exalting that his name is a name that is above every name. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We ought to have that heart and mindset that says, I'm going to be passionate about sharing the gospel. Do I have a burden for the lost? We know that this unnamed individual, he was famous for sharing the gospel. He had a burden for the lost. And we know that uh, we ought to develop within us this passion and this burden for Uh, the unsaved. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred. Everybody say stirred. His spirit was stirred in him when he saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry. See, Paul was there and he was waiting at Mars Hill and he was getting ready to preach. and He was waiting for some of his team to join him. And while he was surveying the city and while he was looking at the city, he just couldn't help but get fired up and get stirred because he saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry. I wonder this morning, when was the last time you had your spirit stirred in you over the city of Fontana, over the Inland Empire? The thousands of people that don't know the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. I remember when Katie and I uh, were getting ready to start this church, we drove up into Rancho Cucamonga, up into the mountains up there, and we looked out over the city, and God uh, was stirring in our hearts to start a church here that we could reach people that are far from God. We ought to have this burden within us. See, if we're not careful, we'll kind of go throughout our day-to-day, and and, uh, we'll get caught up in the busyness of our schedules, and we'll kind of get into the routine of doing a lot of things, and we'll forget that there is a lost and dying world that does not know about the message of Jesus, that does not know about the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. See, we often don't want to think about that because, you know, it makes us cringe a little bit, but Jesus talked much more about the reality of hell than he did the hope of heaven. And he was trying to warn us, saying, hey, we've got to take this matter seriously. We've got to have a burden for the lost. We've got to know that there is a place uh, called hell. It's a terrible place. It's an eternal place of torment. And we are trying to get the good news of the gospel out to save people from uh, that torment. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Jesus described hell this way. He said this in Mark 9, 44, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's eternal. And that's why Jesus was so passionate about sharing this message and he had a compassion and a, pa- a passion for people. It says this in Mark 6, 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved. Everybody say moved. He was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. John Rice famous leader and pastor, he said this, not till I die nor till Jesus comes will I ever be eased of this burden, these tears, this toil to save souls. I wonder this morning, how's our burden for the lost? When was the last time you really prayed for your neighbor and prayed for your coworker that they would come and meet Jesus? Because this is eternal that we're talking about. This is all of eternity that we're dealing with. 
William Wilberforce, he said this, there are four things that we ought to do with the word of God. Admit it as the word of God, commit it to our hearts and minds, submit to it, and transmit it to the world. And I just love that thought that we have got to let the word of Christ come to us and then go through us into our community. And over the next couple of weeks, as we start to uh, prep and get ready for Easter Sunday, we're going to have a Cover the City campaign where we're going to try to get out thousands and thousands and thousands of invites into our city. We ought to have a church that rallies behind that and says, yes, this matters, this is important, because we want to see people People reach with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. This is what it's all about. Do I have a burden for the lost? This man that we don't know, he was famous. What was he famous for? The gospel. He just wanted people to know about the message of Jesus. Notice what it says now in verse number 19. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches. That word chosen carries the idea that they chose by a vote. And so they literally voted and they raised their hands and they said, we can approve of this man's character. We want him to be our representative. And so they chose him of the churches to travel with us with this grace. What grace is he talking about? Well, if you read verse number one, it was the grace of giving. They're talking about being generous. Remember, the church at Jerusalem was struggling. And so Paul was sending these messengers to receive an offering for the struggling church. And so they say, this man, we can trust in this grace, which is administered by us, watch this, to the glory of the same Lord. What is this all about? What is generosity all about? And talking about multiplying, we don't want to maintain, we want to multiply. What is this all about? It's all about the glory of the Lord. We want to lift high his name and make sure that he gets all the glory, not us. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 20, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is all about giving God the glory that he rightfully deserves. Number one, do I take the initiative? Number two, do I have a burden for the loss? Number three, do I strive for integrity? Do I strive for integrity? Now, Paul was no stranger to criticism. Uh, Paul got criticized often, and often in his letters he is defending his character, defending his integrity. If you read 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, he takes about 10 verses to uh, defend uh, his character. And, and he knows that people are going to uh, criticize what he's asking and criticize this letter. And there was a lot of false teachers, just like in our day, that were in the business of religion to make some money, to make some, uh, to make some dirty money, you could say. And so uh, there was these false teachers, these false prophets. And so uh, Paul had to make sure that he articulated this very uh, wisely concerning generosity because he wanted to remove himself from the accusation of anything uh, being said about the collection of this offering. And so uh, there was a need to elevate integrity. And he does this in two ways. Uh, he does this first by uh, giving an example of discernment. Uh, notice what it says in verse number 20. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Verse number 20, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us. He says, and I just want you to know that we're doing it this way with these, uh, with these messengers because I don't want there to be any blaming of what we're doing with this money, any shady business going on with the resources that God has entrusted to us. And then he says, providing for honest things, honest things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And I love Paul's heart. He says, I want to be honest before the Lord. I want to make sure that the Lord is pleased with my decisions, but also... In the sight of men. A lot of times we think, I just, I'm accountable to God and God alone. I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. And that is a faulty way of thinking. Because the Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs that uh, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the good and the evil. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 4, it says, So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. 
So Paul says we want to make sure that we are above reproach when uh, it comes to our finances, when it comes to the resources, this offering that we're about to receive. We're going to have multiple people going for accountability and to uh, elevate integrity. And I just want you to know that at Rock Hill, uh, we do our best to uh, elevate integrity and accountability when it comes to the resources that God has entrusted to our local church. Uh, We are a church plant, and uh, we are accountable to our sending church, Coastline Baptist Church, and they have full access to our books and all of our numbers. And uh, we have... uh, 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 practices in place in our bylaws about the signing of checks and about the counting of the offering. Why do we do all these things? We want to elevate integrity and we want to make sure that we are removing ourselves even from an accusation. If someone says, what are you doing with the money? Hey, it's an open book. You can see exactly what we're doing and trying to reach more people and print more tracks and pay for venues like this so that we can reach more people uh, with the gospel message. And so Paul is elevating integrity. And I want you to know that this is a practice that we ought to put in place, uh, not even uh, uh, limited to our finances. This should be a practice that uh, applies across the board in our lives. The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance, everybody say appearance, appearance, appearance of evil. Isn't it interesting that Paul doesn't say to the church at Thessalonica, abstain from evil. He says abstain even then from the appearance of evil. A lot of times we can justify it in our minds. We're not really doing anything wrong, but it sure looks like it. And we're being a stumbling block or a hindrance to a new Christian or to another Christian that's seeing us and thinking, what are they doing that for? That's why if I want a cheeseburger, I'm not going to go to a nightclub to get a cheeseburger. I'll go to In-N-Out or something else. Why? Because I want to avoid the appearance of evil. I don't want to find myself in, in, in a spot where someone could accuse and speak evil of my good doing. You know, last year, uh, Mike Pence, our vice president, he got in a lot of uh, criticism and crossfire because uh, he said, I'm only going to eat dinner uh, with my wife. I don't want to eat dinner with another woman. And uh, he said this to elevate accountability and integrity. And when he said that, he just got uh, eaten up in the media. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They said, well, you know, he's so old school. This is ridiculous. And, and all of these things. Why? Because our culture is so uh, foreign to the concept of accountability and integrity. He was just trying to elevate those standards in his life. And so we ought to, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, do our best to avoid even the appearance of evil. How do we do that? We elevate integrity. We elevate accountability. Paul said we want to provide things, honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Hey, be discerning with what you put out on social media. You never know. Uh, who is watching, and you never know what uh, lost person is reading what you're saying, and it's being a hindrance to the cause of Christ and a stumbling block to someone coming to know Christ. And so we've got to do our best to uh, avoid the appearance of evil. Philippians 1, 9 and 10 says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve the things that are excellent. Sometimes the choice that we have to make is not simply between bad and good. Sometimes it's between good and best approving the excellent things. And we need the wisdom and the discernment of God to be able to do that, that you may be able uh, to be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And I just want to tell you that wherever there is a life of integrity, there will be a life of impact. And Paul understood this and said, man, we want to see a multiplying work. We want to see an increasing work. We want to make an impact. And so we've got to elevate integrity uh, here. And so he elevates integrity. But he also gives an example not only of discernment, but also of dedication. Now, we're introduced to the third messenger in verse number 22. 
It says this, and we have sent with them our brother. Okay, so here's the third messenger that Paul is introducing to us, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. And so this third uh, individual, this third messenger, he was passionate, he was uh, zealous, spudaios, he was diligent in many things, but even more diligent. And it's interesting how concerned Paul was that we would know and the church at Corinth would know that these guys had passion. He didn't take the time to say, they have the best training, just, just trust them. They, they went to the best schools, and they have the best talent, and man, uh, they're awesome in these ways. No, he wanted us to know uh, that they were passionate. Why? Because Paul knew that, that that passion covers depths of insufficiency. He said that these guys are passionate about uh, uh, what they do. Uh, recently, I believe it was last year or the year before, uh, Mark Wahlberg, he uh, made headlines because he posted on his Instagram story his uh, daily schedule, and uh, he said, this is my daily schedule, so people ask, and I believe we have a screenshot of it. He said, 2.30 a.m., I wake up. 2.45, prayer time. 3.15, breakfast. 3.40, workout. Uh, 5.30, post-workout meal. 6 a.m., shower. 7.30, golf. 8 a.m., snack. Uh, 9.30, uh, cryo chamber recovery. 10.30, snack. 11 a.m., family time. 1 p.m., lunch. 2 p.m., meetings. 3 p.m., pick up kids from school. 3.30, snack. 4, 4 p.m. Some of you are like, I need to implement more snacks into my schedule. That's what I need to... 4 p.m., workout. Uh, 5 p.m., shower. 5.30, dinner, family time. 7.30, bedtime. What drives a person, a person to that kind of intensity? He's passionate about his craft. He's passionate about his health. He's passionate about what he does. And so he's going to eliminate excuses. He's not going to say, I don't have time in the day to do this. No, he says, I'm going to wake up at 2.30 in the morning. When it comes to our spiritual intensity, our spiritual passion, how often do we give excuses for why we don't do what God wants us to do? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, and he came unto his disciples and found them asleep. And he said unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Peter, you, you, you couldn't pray for one hour? I believe this morning that God wants us to increase our level of intensity, increase our level of passion for the things of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 11, not slothful in business, but fervent. Everybody say fervent. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so uh, what are we learning today? What are the questions that we're gauging our level of passion? Do I take the initiative? Uh, do I have a burden for the lost? Do I strive for integrity? And here's the fourth question. Are you ready? Question number four. Do I have a spirit of cooperation? Do I have a spirit of cooperation? Notice what our text says in verse number 23. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he says, if any of you are going to ask about Titus or maybe someone's new in the church at Corinth that didn't meet Titus a year ago, if someone's going to ask about the testimony, the character of Titus, uh, watch this. This is how Paul describes Titus. He is my partner. He's my partner. It's interesting, this word partner in the Greek, it's the only time uh, that this word partner is used in the New Testament. He's my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be inquired of, that they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. And I love how he describes Titus. He says, he's my partner. He's my fellow helper. He's got my back. He's in this with me. We're working together. We're banding together. We're striving together. We're, we're on the same team. We're trying to see God's work multiplied. Do I have a spirit of cooperation? 
Am I willing to get involved and to stand behind, stand beside uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ to see the work of God multiplied and move forward? Titus was a fellow laborer. Paul knew all about this concept of teamwork, and Paul constantly was stressing this idea uh, of cooperation. In fact, in Romans 16, 4, he was talking about a, a couple in the ministry that assisted him, Aquila and Priscilla, and he says this in Romans 16, 4, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also of all the churches of the Gentiles. And he says, Aquila and Priscilla were willing to die for me in the ministry. And so he knew all about a spirit of cooperation and dedication. In Romans 15, he says, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind, everybody say one mind, and one mouth, everybody say one mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to have one mind, one mouth, one goal, uh, worshiping Jesus, lifting up his name together. In the following days after September 11th, 2001, there was uh, obviously a widespread panic and fear that uh, went over our nation, especially when it come, uh, came to flying and, and uh, all the security measures that were put in place after September 11th. And on the Saturday after September 11th, there was a, a pilot that was flying, one of the first flights to uh, uh, go back into the air. And it was at uh, the Denver International Airport, United Airlines Flight 564. And the pilot went over uh, on the loudspeaker, the intercom of that flight. And he said this, this is just days after the terrorist attack uh, in New York City. He says this, if someone were to stand up, this is what he's saying over the intercom of the airplane. If someone were to stand up brandishing something such as a plastic knife and say, this is a hijacking or words to that effect, here's what you should do. Every one of you should stand up and immediately throw things at that person. Pillows, books, magazine, uh, eyeglasses, shoes, anything that will throw him off balance and distract his attention. Most important, get a blanket over him and wrestle him to the floor and keep him there. Uh, we'll land the plane at the nearest airport and the authorities will take it from there. Remember, there will be one of him and maybe a few Confederates, but there are 200 of you. You can overwhelm them. I don't think we're gonna have any such problem today or tomorrow or for a while, but sometime down the road, it's going to happen again, and I want you to know what to do. Now, since we're family for the next few hours, I'll ask you to turn to the person next to you, introduce yourself, tell him a little bit about yourself, and ask him to do the same. See, that pilot understood in times of desperation, in times of danger, how important it is to band together. Can I tell you this morning that we are living in desperate times and dangerous times when people are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And what we need right now is the church to band together, to strive together, to stand together and say, hey, let's go forward. I've got your back. You got my back. See, I believe that the work of God will be multiplied when the people of God are unified. When we stand together and we say, you know what? This is bigger than me. Let's strive together for the faith of the gospel. Do I have a spirit of cooperation? Or am I constantly looking to make division and looking to bring strife and looking for things I disagree with? Or are we willing to move forward and have one mouth and one mind for the sake of the gospel? Third John, verse one, chapter one, verse eight says this, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And that's the goal, that we would be fellow helpers to the truth. And then in verse number 24, our last verse, Paul brings it full circle. He says, wherefore, because of this. So we've met the messengers. We know who these guys are. They were diligent. They were passionate. They had integrity. We've met them. And then he says this, wherefore show ye to them and before the churches, the proof of your love. He brings it full circle here. What is he talking about? Generosity. He's talking about that, that offering that they were going to receive and our boasting on your behalf. And he's saying, hey, prove the sincerity of your love. 
let's show the church at Jerusalem that we have a spirit of cooperation. Hey, even though uh, that church is uh, primarily uh, comprised of Jewish uh, converts, and even though the church at Corinth was primarily comprised with Gentile converts, and, and culturally they hated each other, and there was racial discrimination between the churches, he was saying, hey, let's strive together, let's cooperate, let's show them that we love them, we care about them, let's send them the offering uh, that they need, let's have a spirit of generosity within us. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, when we talk about this multiply campaign and we talk about the multiply tithe challenge, and we're saying, hey, let's be generous. When we say these things, it's because we want to experience the blessings and benefits that God bestows upon the giver. It is more blessed to give than to receive. He's the, he's the owner, we're the steward, and we want to uh, faithfully give to him and trust that he will faithfully provide what we need. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so uh, these questions this morning, they gauge our level of intensity, our level of passion for the things of God. Do I take the initiative? Do I have a burden for the loss? Do I strive for integrity? And do I have a spirit of cooperation? What is this all about? Seeing God's work multiplied. How many of you would say, you know, that's my heart. I want to see God's work multiplied here in our church and in my life. If that's your heart, can I see your hand? I want to see God's work multiplied. Maybe this morning you are here and you are somewhat new to church and uh, you're somewhat new to this idea of generosity and, and uh, the multiplication process that we're talking about. Maybe if you were to die today, you're not sure where you'd spend eternity. You're not sure if you'd go to heaven, hell, what we talked about this morning. And I would say that today can be the day of salvation for you because Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of generosity that the world has ever seen when he died on the cross in your place and in my place. And today you can trust in him and you can experience the free gift of salvation. Romans 10, 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And what a promise that we have to claim this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.